Well, good morning, everybody. There was a lot of talking, but I didn't hear one person say hello to someone all in as one thing. You, you did not follow directions exactly as they were given. Um, my name is Keith Gove, and I am one of the pastors here at Richfield Community Church, and I get to, uh, to close out chapter 9 in 1 Corinthians today. And uh, I want to I take a moment, and I, I want to I celebrate the occasion just for a second, because in this text, uh, this text is, is, the whole thing is a sports metaphor, the whole end of the chapter. We don't have to add in a golf analogy. We don't have to, yeah, yeah. We don't need to show a basketball picture with the shorty shorts. Like, it's already got the sports in it. And, and Todd, in his, in his infinite wisdom, chose, chose me to preach this one, which, which really had nothing to do with the content. It was just that he was out of town. But... I'm going to interpret it as he, he recognized, you know, my, my, my core athleticism <laughs> and thought that I would be a good candidate for this passage. That's right. Thank you. Um, so two, two quick stories um, about... Uh, just so that you know, to build kind of the credibility, the baseline for this, you know, the whole, it all hangs on, you know, my, my athletic, you know, background. So I wanted you to know that in high school, I was exempt from PE all four years. <laughs> they recognized in me an inherent ability. Um, really what it was is they counted marching band as my PE credit, because I, I think, thank you, thank you. I, I think they thought I couldn't handle walking around the track, playing in the sermon, and doing PE both in the same day. So they said, no, no, we've got, we got to, well, just pick one or the other, Keith. We don't want, we don't want you to exert yourself too much. Um, but I played a lot of baseball as I was growing up. That was my sport growing up, and I started as as early as they would let me, because I had two older brothers, so I was already kind of playing. So, you know, if I can give, you know, pro, pro athletics tips, athletical tips, <laughs> start early. That's a good one, right? So I started as early as I could, and I loved playing baseball. I played t-ball a bunch of years, and then, you know, coach pitch and kid pitch, and, um, and I, I loved it. I stopped playing about 10 or 11 years old, which coincidentally, is also when I learned that I needed to wear glasses. And I probably should have been wearing glasses kind of the whole time. So uh, I, I don't ever remember that I hit the ball. But I also don't remember that ever my teammates gave me a hard time. Um, I didn't know that I couldn't see. I, I just thought the world was a blurry place. I, I didn't know any better. Nobody could tell me any different. I knew when you got up close to something, it had shape and definition. But from afar, I just assumed nobody could see that. <laughs> so you figure the pitcher is 45, 50 feet away, right? And coaches, they always have these things they say to, to batters who are struggling, right? And I know because I say them to the kids now when I'm helping my kids' teams. You know, so they'll say things like, you know, watch the ball 
all the way in. You know, watch the boat all the way in. Which I knew what all those words meant. <laughs> I just couldn't attach them to anything that I had ever experienced in reality. Um, because there was just kind of a shape out there ahead of me. And then that shape would move. And I knew that at that point the ball is coming at me. And so then by the time I actually see the ball, it's just uh, self-preservation. You know, try not to get hit by the ball and use this skinny bat to protect yourself. Uh, the other thing that we say is watch it come out of his hand. You know, watch it. Watch the ball come out of the pitcher's hand. Again, I knew what all those words meant. But for me, there was like a, a gray blob and then a blue or a colorful, you know, whatever color the jersey was, you know, a blue blob on top of the gray blob. There was no hand in the equation <laughs> from my perspective. So to watch the, the tiny ball come out of the hand that I can't see was just not going to happen. But I, I had a, a great time playing basketball. I mean, baseball. <laughs> Even better basketball because the ball is way bigger. Um, <laughs> The, the optometrist that I was going to thought that it would help slow down the progression of my eyesight getting worse uh, by giving me bifocals in the fifth grade, which another pro tip for your kids, don't ever give a child bifocals. It's a terrible, terrible thing. So imagine me playing kickball. You know how bifocals work, right? <laughs> Uh, you got the, you know, the distance lens up top where you see far stuff and then the, the reading lens, you know, down here to see close-up stuff. Well, you know, they roll the ball to you and so you're looking out of the distance part and then somewhere in between the ball jumps <laughs> from the distance lens to the reading lens and it, it yes. <laughs> so I get to preach all about athletics today. So thank you guys for being here. This is going to be a wonderful thing. And uh, thankfully, it has nothing to do with uh, ball sports. So it's all track and field. Now, I was never a track and field guy. You know, again, the, you know, only one thing at a time. Um, but Paul is talking about something that was so familiar um, to the Corinthians. And I think, I'm pretty sure, it's pretty familiar to us. Anybody watch the Tokyo Olympics? Anybody? Yes? Yes? All right. So if you, at least if you didn't watch, you know what they are. They are in your world of experience. So in, uh, in Greece, Corinth is in Greece, um, the Olympic Games around Mount Olympus um, were the big ones. Those were, like, those were like major league. And then Corinth on the Isthmus had the Isthmian Games. So Olympian Games, Isthmian Games, right? So Hard to say, kind of minor league, but still, everybody in Corinth knew about the Olympics. Everybody in Corinth knew these um, wrestling, boxing, racing. They knew all of these games, and it was, it was a, a metaphor that everybody understood. So Paul is using this kind of common frame of reference to say, hey, guys, in Corinth, we are in the most important race ever, ever. And he, he uh, unpacks it for them and, and uh, encourages them, warns them, pushes them along. And so that's what we're going to read about this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. Lord, would you help us by your spirit just to, to see what is in your word, what Paul, you inspired Paul to, to write, 
what he intended for that church in Corinth and what he intends and you intend for us. Lord, would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you direct us by your spirit through your word for your glory, Lord? Amen. So the most important race ever. Here's what, here's what Paul says. He calls the Corinthians and us to live like training athletes focused on the goal of their efforts. They, they make their whole lives, build their whole lives around their sport. He wants us to live this way. He reminds us that the rewards that we are racing for are infinitely better than any other competition and the consequences more disastrous should we choose not to race. This is a big deal. This is the most important race. So anybody know who this is? The little tag on her jersey gives away her last name. It's, a, you know, it's an easy one. Her name is Allison Felix, and she's a, a track uh, athlete, a sprinter. She is, uh, as of the Tokyo Olympics, the most decorated American track and field athlete ever in all time. 11 medals uh, in, in track and field over her various Olympics. Also an L.A. native, also uh, a preacher's kid. Her dad is a pastor in L.A. Um, also, so Allison has a whole training regimen, right? And, and all the athletes do, but she's, she'll be our, our example for today. Eats special stuff, you know, only healthy stuff, trains five to six hours every day, um, builds her entire life around racing, running, being the fastest woman on earth. That is her goal, and she's very good at it in, in her, you know, specific disciplines. So just a fact, she can deadlift 300 pounds to build up strength in her legs, right? Now, I can't imagine what it's like to lift off of the ground 300 pounds, but I can imagine what it's like to lift a quarter pounder. So I think, you know, quarter pound, there's four of those to a pound times 300, 1,200 quarter pounders at one time. So it is something what she can do. Um, so this is, this is what Paul has got in mind, an athlete like this. So we're going to read through the text. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So do not run. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should myself, I myself should be disqualified. So you guys know all the runners in a race. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They're all at the starting line. They're all the hype, all the fanfare, the big stadium, everything. You guys have seen this. You all know what it is. He is he's saying to the Corinthians because they know exactly what that is as well. So let's talk through what the metaphor is. What is Paul trying to say using this kind of race imagery? So what is the race? He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Um, in the context of where we've been in chapter 8 and chapter 9, remember this doesn't come out of a vacuum. He's been leading up to this metaphor. So in the context, he has said in chapter 8, hey, remember this, this food sacrifice to idols issue? Take care, you Corinthians, take care that your expressions of freedom don't become stumbling blocks to other believers. So, Kind of my summary is prioritize the spiritual health of others over your preferences. Then in chapter 9, he says, you know how I lived when I was with you. I, I, I chose not to ask you for money, though I, I had a right to. I chose not to because I didn't want anybody to doubt my motives. I didn't want to put a stumbling block in front of any of you. So again, my, my summary I prioritized your spiritual health over my preference to be paid. So I'm telling you guys to prioritize other spiritual health. This is the way I lived when I was with you. I did that for you. And now he's saying, this is how I want you to live. He describes at the very end of that last section, here's, here's what that race looks like, or here's what that process looked like. Though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law, even though I'm not outside the law of God, I'm under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in his blessings. This is the race he's talking about. This preferring and prioritizing their spiritual health. And even if that means inconvenience to me, I'm going to do it because I care about them and what happens to them. So what is this race? What do we call it? How can we put a, you know, a, a, a nice little bow or, or something on it? So we could call it, you know, following Christ and, and, and sharing Christ as we have opportunity, sharing his love with the people around us. We can call it experiencing God's love and then letting that love get expressed to others. Um, we can call it loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. I mean, I don't think that's the best one, you know, really... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's the only biblical one. So lest I be struck by lightning, let me tell you, that's, that's actually, that's a good one. Um, loving God with all our heart and loving our neighbor as ourself. That's from Jesus. So keep that one. Enjoying God together, right? We, we say that around here and inviting others to enjoy God with us. It's, it's the experiencing God and sharing the love that we have received with others. That's the race. That's what Paul's talking about. We're all in this race, Corinthians. And right now, I'm struggling to see, you guys are struggling to race well. <laughs> so he's encouraging them. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? They're all running. They're all training. They're all giving up all kinds of things, even though they know only one is going to win. But they still train. They still work hard. They all still give up all so much, even though they know there's a good chance they're going to walk away with nothing. If they can do that, how much more can we run with purpose? Can we run uh, with, with excellence, knowing that not just one person is going to get this eternal prize? This is open to everybody. So 
the, the parallel is not that only one person gets, gets heaven. Only one person gets the eternal prize. That's not it. It's just saying, run. If they can run that hard and train that hard for something so finite and temporal, man, shouldn't we be able to run way harder in, a, in our race? So run in such a way as to obtain it. This is a, a, a long-distance runner whose name is Mo Farah. He runs for Great Britain, and I just love his face crossing the finish line. He's, you know, he's at the end of like 26 miles of torture, and he's still got this like face of joy as he crosses the finish line. Um, run in such a way as to obtain it. So once Paul defines kind of, hey, this is the race that we're in, now he talks about the goal. Man, we want to run for that prize. We want to run for that goal. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, you know, like Allison Felix. You know, they only eat certain things. They get a certain amount of sleep. They get a certain amount of exercise. They train. They do all this stuff just to win a, a perishable wreath. Um, this is the uh, 2004, the Elkins in the house somewhere. I, I know I saw Todd. Thank you. This is 2004. Is that right? Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm and those folks? Or 99. So anyway, it's, it's one of the, the U.S. women's soccer teams that was, I think, gold medal winners and pretty fantastic team. So on their heads, those little like woven laurel branches, olive branches, that's the wreath that Paul's talking about. They still use it today. And that's what they're competing for, this perishable prize of, I mean, yes, there's the notoriety and the fame and the like, hey, you won the race or you won the game, whatever. But all you get for it is some like twigs and potpourri on your head. That's all you get. We have something way better, way, way better. So Paul's saying, you know that Olympians work hard, even though only one of them is going to get the little wreath to wear on their head. You know that we, Paul and Barnabas and Apollos, we worked hard while we were with you so that you would experience eternal life, so that you would experience something way better. Now, you Corinthians, we're not seeing you doing what we did among you. We're not seeing you work and train and, and go out of your way to love those other believers the way we would hope. I want communicating Christ's love to be that Olympic race, Paul is saying, that you train for, that you work at, that you focus your efforts on. So that, and at the very end, he says, you know, after he says to the, those under the law, to those outside the law, to the weak, to all those people, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Um, it's funny they didn't have team sports back in, uh, in Paul's Olympics. They were all individual events. But he makes it a team sport, this Christianity, this race that we're in, so that he says, so that I may share in the blessings with them. There's a mutual reward. We share in this reward. It's not just one guy who gets the wreath or one woman who gets the wreath. We get to share in this eternal life that they, we don't, our prize doesn't get diminished when other people get the prize as well. 
They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an eternal, undying, imperishable prize. So we work at it, we focus our efforts, and together we share in those eternal blessings, those eternal rewards. So then Paul goes on. I, he goes now from the, hey, here's generally, you know, that uh, uh, in a race, generally all the runners run, you know, very general third person. Now he goes very first person, very personal. So I, since you guys know me and you know my work ethic, you know what I did when I was with you, I, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control. You guys saw how I was with you. That's how I want you to live. So I have no illusions. This is not a vision test, by the way. Uh, I have no illusions. You should not be able to see this in case anyone is wondering and thinking now that their eyes are bad. No, this is very small. Um, this is a, an old comic from Family Circus, and I'll explain it to you. So at the very top left, mom is telling Billy, hey, they're out camping. She says, Billy, can you go get firewood? Firewood. He says, yes, mama. So he goes out, and that long black dotted line is his adventuring for firewood. So first thing he does, he climbs a tree. He, like, scouts and surveys the area to find the best place to, get, to find firewood, climbs down the tree, heads for that spot, and sees a rabbit, and then chases the rabbit around, and the rabbit goes in a hole. And then he's in another place, and he sees a waterfall. So he's like, oh, I'm going to go check that out. So he goes over that rock, goes over to the waterfall, stands in the mist, it's very cool, follows the stream down, crosses the stream, a little log bridge, goes into a deep, dark forest. Here's what he thinks is a dinosaur, gets scared, comes back across the log, finds a blackberry bush, picks some blackberries, eats some blackberries. And as he's making his, as he's stepping back into camp, he remembers, oh yeah, I was supposed to be collecting firewood. So he grabs some twigs off of the ground real quick and walks up to mom and the last bubble says, mom, is this enough? <laughs> I feel like, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, your, your effort and your aim and your training and your kind of dedication to this life of, of loving God and loving the other people with you is, is as kind of distracted and haphazard as Billy. You know, you're getting distracted by all these other things that aren't the main thing. And I want to remind you, this is about loving God, receiving his love, and expressing it to others. So don't get distracted. Don't uh, run aimlessly. Don't box. You know, imagine if a boxer never lands a punch. He is not going to win very many boxing matches. We want to run in such a way as to win or box in such a way as to win. So Paul says he disciplines his body, keeps it under control, that he would compete well. So what is the big deal about all of this. What is, why is Paul, after all of this, you know, the food sacrifice, the idols, and then, hey, here's how I lived it among you. And he ends with this, this athletic metaphor of the race. And why does Paul build to this big conclusion? Here's what he says. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So right there, you should hear the, the needle scratch off of the record. For those of you who don't know what a record or a record needle is, 
Um, that's going to take a little too long to explain. Uh, so that's where you should hear the brakes of the car screeching and the car coming to a full stop. Paul is saying, lest I, Paul, the apostle who introduced you all to Jesus, should be disqualified. Now, in their heads, that is mind-blowing. What could Paul, the apostle, possibly do that would disqualify him? I don't, like, if, if Paul is, is saying, I could be disqualified somehow, what chance is there for us Corinthians? Like, we know we're not Paul. We know we're not living like Paul and Apollos and Barnabas and those guys. Like, this is a big deal. Now, before we go sideways down like a works righteousness path, I don't want us to go there. We know we're not saved by effort. We know we're not saved by works. We know we're not saved by, you know, obedience to the rules. So what is Paul saying with this being disqualified right at the end of his, his metaphor? So if we go back to what the race is, what is the race? Love God with all our heart and love our neighbors as ourselves. If that's the race, two parts, but one goal, one race if that's the race, as he's talking to the Corinthians about this food sacrifice to idols thing, two pieces, love the Lord your God with all your heart. They got that part. We know there's no, no God other than God. We know these idols are nothing. We know that the food sacrificed to those idols is good. It's fine. We can eat it. We know that. But then the second piece, loving our neighbors as ourselves, they don't actually care about the impact that they're eating that food might have on others. They don't care. So on the two pieces of the one race, they're failing 50%. Paul's saying, we can't fail 50%. I don't want you to be disqualified from the race because you've missed half of the race. If we don't care about others, that does not equal loving our neighbors. That's actually the opposite of loving our neighbors. This is the way the apostle John says it. Lest you think that, I said lest a lot today. I think it's because it's in the text, lest I be reminded. Um, anyway, uh, if anyone says, I love God, but then hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, from Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Same idea, same as what Paul is communicating to the Corinthians. John just kind of punches them in the face with it where Paul is being a little bit more, uh, a little more, using a little more imagery and, and uh, building up to this point. But the loving God and loving our brothers and sisters go together as one. Here's the way Jesus said it. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Both things. We love Christ, we follow Christ, and we love others. So remember Paul in this section where he's describing the race. My little parentheses is just my little summary. So, though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. I do my best 
to communicate Christ's love to them. To the Jews, to those under the law, to all of them, I do my best to communicate Christ's love to them. Um, To those outside the law, to the weak, I do my best to communicate Christ's love to them. That by all means, I might save some. And we all know in reality, it is God who does the saving, but that Paul might be used in some way as an instrument that in God saving them. And then my little parentheses at the end. And if I would do that, Paul's saying, if I would do that for those who aren't yet my brothers, if I would do that for you when I first came to Corinth, even though none of you were trusting Christ yet, if I would do that for those outside, how much more should we be doing that for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Doing our best to communicate Christ's love to them. So we do not run aimlessly. We do not box as one beating the air, but we discipline our bodies, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others and telling them the goodness of the gospel, we might miss the essence of what it is ourselves. So what's the big deal? And here is, here's the big deal for, for the morning. This is the big deal that Paul has led up to in chapter 9 and where he ends. Not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is a really, really big, potentially disqualifying deal. And Paul does not want the Corinthians to miss it. And I don't want us to miss it. It's a big deal. That the love we have received gets expressed in how we treat others. So what? So what do we do? We have this information, a summary of of what we have known from maybe from the beginning of hearing the gospel, but we're reminded of its importance. We're reminded of how, okay, this this needs to be, you know, my my training. This needs to be my, the the focus around which I, I build my life. So how do we do that? First, we love God and love those people um, and I put those people just because I, I, writ, I wrote first, love God and love others. But all of us love some others, right? You know, we love our family. We love our kids. We love people who are kind to us. Like, yeah, I love other people. I love those people who are nice to me. But I think what Paul has in mind for the Corinthians is, I want you to love those people who are offended by your eating food sacrifice to idols that you think are stupid. You think they're stupid because you know there's no God in that idol. So Paul's telling them, I want you to love those other believers that you think are stupid. And to those people who are being offended as they're hearing the letter, Paul's saying, I want you to love those people who are being arrogant and looking down on you and thinking you're stupid. I want you to love those people. Both sides Love God and love those people. Second thing, I, I, I almost didn't write this because it just sounded so cheesy. I hated it, but I couldn't come up with something better. <laughs> live like Olympians. Live like training athletes. Live like people who have a goal. And our goal is not retirement. Our goal is not a bigger 401k. Our, our goal is not a bigger church, a bigger building, more pews, our, our goal is that people 
experience the love of God because of us, through us, that we have some part to play in expressing God's love to the people around us. And we structure our life, our relationships, uh, what we do in our free time, where we work, how we work. We structure everything that people in looking at us might see Jesus. That's Paul's desire for the Corinthians and that's my hope for us. That we would live like those athletes. When we've got something way better in store, we've got a reward way better that's eternal, that's forever. That we would work hard toward that goal. And then lastly, we all need trainers, um, which does not mean sneakers, um, but we all need people to help us. Um, We all need first to say, God, I can't do this. I'm not great at discipline. I like to do what I like to do. I need help. I need your spirit inside of me helping me do the things that don't come naturally to me. So first of all, we need to ask his help. And then we need human trainers. We need people alongside us like life group leaders and uh, small group leaders and Bible study leaders and people who will just be in the race with us. If you have ever tried to make a New Year's resolution to do anything, right? To, to eat better, to exercise more, any of those things, right? We all do better when we've got someone doing it with us. We all are more successful if we've got somebody who says, I'm going to do it too. You know, Will, Will Robbins, when he was here, he would do 20 push-ups a day. And he'd get all of us in there. All right, we're going into the back room and we're doing 20 push-ups. Everybody, I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> My arms are going to be useless the rest of the day. <laughs> but we'd do it because he was doing it and it was fun to do it together. If it's just on us and it's just our motivation and it's just nobody knows whether we're going to do it or not do it, let me tell you, we're not going to do it. <laughs> but if we've got trainers, if we've got friends, if we've got people in this with us, much more likely that we're going to stick to it and that we're going to enjoy it. So much more fun to do it together. So we love God and we love other people. We we train, we focus, we build our lives around what is most important. And we gather around people around us who do it with us because it's way more fun. And we all get to share in that eternal reward, in that eternal blessing, in that eternal win, we all collectively get to experience that, get to enjoy that forever. There is nothing better than being forever with God immediately in his presence. Nothing better. And we get to share that with others. We get, it's a gift that we not only get to receive, it's a gift that we get to share. So, Before we pray, we are going, uh, we have two folks today who are deciding to follow Christ and make that following of Christ a a public proclamation. So um, I am, I'm going to pray for us and sorry, I'm going to pray for us. And then Johnny is going to come up and he's going to introduce Becky and Michael to you and, and, and talk to them a little bit. Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you help us to run well? 
would you help us to uh, run in such a way as to, as to win, um, run in a way that um, shows the worth of the prize and shows your worth and communicates your worth. Lord, we need your help and we need your people to be able to do that. So Lord, would you continue to provide us with every resource for your glory, Lord? Amen.